Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Welcome to Swansea and tonight, never work with children or animals. I'm joined by Dr. Helen Lewis, uh, Kerry Williams-Kendall and hopefully the head teacher of Uskal Sansur uh, who sell 20,000 eggs a year, keep bees, lizards, free dogs in their menagerie and farm. We've got a lot to talk about, so off we go. Live from Swansea, this is is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. Good evening. I see people filling up in the chat already. Noswaythar, uh, Boradar. Um, I don't know how to start this, but it will not surprise anyone. It's raining again in Swansea. Every, uh, no, I think I've had one show where it has not been raining when I've been doing my show since I've moved here. Um, yep, raining again. We have had some sunny weather uh, earlier in the week, but no, another show and it is raining um, in Swansea. Now, as I say, tonight we are talking about animals in school and we've got lots of different guests joining us for a chat. Um, I can just see one has joined us right now. Hello, who have we got on the line? Hi, it's Ian. Oh, hi. Oh, perfect. Noswetha, yeah, I'm head of Sunshore Primary School in Llandidno. Uh, fabulous um and i'm glad you you know you starting off the sh- the show i have been you know i've been reading um a, a lovely kind of a slightly older report from estin just about some good practice you've been doing i've been trawling through the website love <laughs> the picture that is that the header of your um twitter feed that is um kind of a, a confused looking chicken and a confused looking <laughs> child once they're kind does. of looking at each other <laughs> Um, uh, which I love sorry and we've got another caller who's just joined us as well I just want to check who's managed to make it in hi Nathan it's Helen here I hope you can hear me yeah fabulous so we've got Helen has joined us as well Um, Dr Helen Lewis former primary school teacher now uh, teacher educator researching uh, best practice involving dogs in schools Um, and I think we might have had another one just try and join us there Um, I'm just gonna see um and hello, who else have we got on the line? Hi, it's Kerry from Boothroyd in West Yorkshire. Fabulous. Well, you know, I think that is a, a full pack of all kinds of different things we're going to be talking about. Now, I know, Ian, that you've got to shoot off, but I was really excited to hear from you. Um, so if you want to just start us off, um, I'm going to, you know, you've got a school that has a menagerie and a farm. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's quite unusual. And t- tell me if I stop. Tell me to stop waffling if I do. So we started with six chickens in um, April two thousand and fourteen, and we've since got a hundred chickens, and we produced a hundred thousandth egg uh, last year. So it's a it's it's a good project. It's a, we're the only school, as far as I know, that's registered to sell eggs in Wales, and. Um, it's just great. Every week, a different class has responsibility for collecting the eggs. And then the teachers um, use that week to think of activities that will inspire the children and improve standards and literacy and numeracy by um, 
by using the chickens. Um, and so I, I, I wanted to ask, like, you know, and I've been talking to people online about this, about, you know, some people start with, we want a dog and then and then build back from there, or we want to have chickens and build back the learning from there. What, what was mm. your thinking behind getting these animals into school? Do you know what? I'm, I'm not entirely sure. It's such a long time ago. It's... um. I used to work in a in a butterfly farm, so the school foyer has always been a little bit of a menagerie. We got um, monitor lizards and chameleons and bullfrogs and tree frogs. In fact, the the tree frogs were mating today. You could hear them barking. Um, they were quite noisy, actually. Um, and so we we thought we'd try um, having chickens, just just have a, another aspect to the school life, really. And we started with bantams, and very soon we realised that there was an opportunity to make some money out of this. So um, we, we we then started selling the eggs. And um, and that immediately was very popular. We could sell them at the school gates, so we registered the school as um, as a packing station. So we get a visit from, uh, as well as Estin from the egg inspectorate, who come and check that uh, everything is clean and uh, and and okay, and um, and then we just try and instill that um, love of nature by getting the children basically hands on. So. Um, the money that we've made from selling the eggs has been now invested into um, into the school apiary. So we started with um, one, one beehive and we've now got, uh, I think we've got 14 at the moment. We've got too many in the school grounds. So we'll be distributing the beehives around around Conway so we can then compare whether we, we've an, analysed the honey and we can see which flowers they visit so the children can then check to see whether the honey tastes any differently from the different parts of uh, the county. So you're co- collecting honey from the bees as well. They're not just sort of there ornamentally. You're, you're. No, no, yeah. I mean, they, they, they do swarm. They can be a bit of a nuisance. Um, um, last year, we somebody knocks to the office door to say, "Mr. Jones, the bees are swarming again." But when when they first swarmed, the children and the teachers were all inside the classrooms, peering out the windows, just watching the spectacle, because it can be quite quite a daunting spectacle. But now when they swarm, the children are outside with the teachers, and it, um, it, I think it's now become a shared vision, so everybody's kind of enthralled by by all these bees that are flying around. And um, they're, they're not at all dangerous when they're swarming, because um, they basically fill themselves to the full with honey, because um, they're setting up a new home. So... Um, that, that that's the last thing on their minds is to um is to sting anybody but um we, we do realize we've got too many hives at the moment so the only complaints we've had about having bees on the school grounds is that uh, some of the teachers who've got quite nice cars um uh, um don't like parking the school car park anymore because their cars get covered in bee poo you wouldn't think it but uh, when you've got um half a million bees on the school grounds and then um, they do produce quite a lot of poo <laughs> Well, Ian, I will tell you from from someone who teaches by the sea here in South Wales, uh, in Swansea, t- send them down here, and I'll show them seagulls the size of you know uh, that could carry off a year seven. And you know, if you think bee, I don't know, I've not seen bee poo before, but yeah. I'm pretty sure my seagulls would give them a run for their money. Now, I should say, if you are listening live in the studio, you can message us in with a call if you have any questions. Um, we do have. Um, Dr. Helen Lewis here with us, um, and we've got Kerry Williams Kendall as well. Um, guys, what do you think of um, Ian and his school? It sounds amazing. I mean, you've just covered Ian so many, so many potential benefits of involving animals in your practice. And what I think is fantastic is you've got such variety there. So I think you are 
encouraging, as you said, that love of nature, but also that respect and that awareness of of what we can do as individuals. It's it's linking to all the ideas about citizenship, what we can do as individuals and as communities to really support nature. Um, and what, what opportunities for authentic, um, meaningful learning are going on in that school? It sounds amazing. I, I'm yeah. desperate to come and visit now. <laughs> oh, you must do. It's, it's a springboard as well. It's it's Because children have a natural curiosity for the world around them. So we use their enthusiasm as a springboard, um, but also as well-being. And I'm sure you're going to mention this yourself in a minute. We, I mean, we've got a school dog and um, we had one child who's who's autistic and he would he would judge his day his, the success of his day on the amount of times he had to see the school dog. So if he if he popped into the school one uh, to the office once to see the dog, he'd say he'd had a really good day. But if he had to visit the school office maybe nine times, he would say I've I've had a pretty bad day. So he would judge his day on the number of times he visited Kellen, the school dog. Um, but also the, the the children are very well aware they can only speak Welsh to the school dog because. Um, it's a Welsh school reading dog, so it's a it's a two way process. <laughs> um, it improves the children's Welsh at the same time. That is fantastic. You know, I love that. You know, I mentioned earlier. You know, and I'm sure we'll get onto these kind of things um, later on. When we were talking more specifically about dogs. I I put out a tweet about sort of reading dogs, and it seems that there are like I knew about this i'd seen it happening but there were a lot of people who thought i'd kind of gone a bit mad and that this wasn't a thing now i want to uh, just check in with kerry quickly kerry are you able to unmute yourself just to just to double check because i did mute you myself i don't know if you can override that i'm going to try for you uh there you go okay. kerry yes i'm on <laughs> you're on okay and do you know how to mute yourself as well in between there should be a little button there. no don't worry, I can do it for you, okay. you know, when we go to the ads and the news and everything. Um, so I just wanted to check in with you. We've, we've heard a little bit about what Ian's school's doing. Mm -hmm. um, you said your school was um, sort of the first therapeutic school award. Tell us a little bit about the kind of things that you're doing. So our school um, is very much about looking at the whole child and ensuring their mental health and well-being and developing their personal development. Um, so we ensure that we've got a very calm environment um, and that might look like in terms of displays being very calming, um, not very busy, um, but also having soft lighting, soft furnishings in class, um, different areas where the children can go and work and um, there might be music on in the background. But what we also have is quite a few animals um, that then can support that process. So we had chickens um, to start with, and then we had rabbits, and we did have some goats. Um, then that grew to cats, and we've also got my dog, who is a therapy dog, who actually was a rescue from a rescue centre, um, and he was vetted by our dog behaviourist, and um, he just he just he was a lurcher, and he just is fully trained. Um, we went through the vetting process risk assessments, all of that. But what he does is because we've got that mental health and that well-being at the forefront of what we do, um, it's a way of supporting the children in a different way. So he doesn't necessarily do reading with the children. What he does is he will go into classes for either a morning or an afternoon and he'll go into class and he'll just be in there when the children are learning. So he's either in my office in the morning or afternoon or he's in class in the morning and the afternoon. And when he's in there, he's he's supporting that calm and approach and he will literally go up, see what the children are doing, put his head on the desk, um, might put his head on the lap 
and they're stroking him at the same time as learning and that learning doesn't stop but Hugh goes in there just to support that calm and environment in which to to get in develop their academic as well as that social um and calming um and and support him in that way but also he's been he's worked with groups of children who have had anxieties um about secondary school so he's worked with them before in the fact that, that he's been they've been doing arts and crafts all around hugo and all the and the other animals in school um, and he's just been there to, to aid that support to them and he's worked one-to-one with children where um basically they will they don't want to speak to the adult adults but they will come and speak to hugo in my office so i might be just doing some work but they're actually talking to the dog about their worries and anxieties and things where you know they couldn't openly do that maybe with a direct contact with the adults um but he, they're finding it so much easier to do it with the dog and he goes out on the playground so he um you know, to see what the children are doing and, and children across the school then can play with him and interact with him. And a lot of our children don't have pets. So they actually see Hugo and the other animals as pets. Um, and when I was on maternity leave, I was getting messages from the um, teachers to say, can we just have an update on Hugo? Can you send us some videos on Hugo? Because they were missing him, which was, it was just lovely. But it just supports them with, you know, if they've got any worries, anxieties, then actually we've, we've got the animals there to support them as well. And that starts right down in early years. There's, you know, um, like it's amazing to hear. And now I am conscious that Ian's got to get off. Now, um, Ian, just before you shoot off, and thank you so much for coming on, because, you know, I advise people go and have a look at your website, have a look at your stuff. We, we've talked about a lot of benefits. We're going to go on to talk a lot of benefits. But, you know, what do people need to be aware of? You said this has been a long journey. I'm assuming someone can't just, you know, rock up at school tomorrow and say, right, I want, you know, egg production over there, honey production over there. What were the big challenges that you didn't see coming? Yeah, and I wish I could stay stay up with you because it sounds so interesting. You're the speakers as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I've been head of the school for 28 years now, and it's it's a gradual development with everything we had. Initially, we had complaints um, that the cockerels were too loud, and uh, you know we're, we're living in the middle of a town. Um, but we we took that as a learning opportunity. So the children started measuring the um, loudness of the cockerel um, in decibels compared to other sounds around the town, and. Very fairly, they wrote a report back to our neighbour just to say, well, actually, you know, you're saying it's crowing every 10 minutes. It's, we, we've actually got evidence here. It was only, crow, only crowing at, at 7 o'clock, at half past 7, and it was only this loud. So we use that as a learning opportunity. So we've, we've got a very detailed risk assessment because, um, you know, we've, with so many amphibians and reptiles at the school, um, you know, we need to make sure that the, the animal's welfare is paramount as well as the children's obviously um so it's yeah just just one step at a time really and we've we've just built up our menagerie our, our little farm and um it's been now it's it's now become a shared vision the, the teachers in all classes now um borrow the animals to do some work and you know when you see a, a chameleon shooting his tongue out um catching a locust or whatever um it's it's an inspiration immediately for some creative writing so it's um it's it's been a an interesting journey. Um, it's all it hasn't always been uh, rosy, um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been very, very good. 
Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us and sharing that. As I say, I would advise having, you know, if you're around there, have a look at um, all online, of course, you can, you know, you can have a look um, at the, at the school um, and, and some of the stuff they've been doing. Cause yeah, as far as animals in school, I have, I have to say, I have not seen anything like it. And, uh, you know, I was amazed. So um, thank you. And if you have in standard, no, you're always a free box of eggs to any of your listeners. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, right. Um, Helen, uh, still with us. I am still with you, but slow to unmute. Sorry about that. No, that is fine. Um, listen, we, you know, I, I don't know where, you know, I knew it would be a whirlwind at the start there with Ian coming on and talking about Ascola Sansua. Um, but um, we, I'm trying to calm myself a little bit and we're going to talk a fair bit. And I know that Kerry's mentioned um, dogs as, you know, already and some of the... Um, uh the things that she's found beneficial but i know that you are you know um uh researching you are doing you know what is i I can assume right i can assume and our listeners might assume having a dog in school would be nice i have a dog at home petting the dog that that's nice this would be a nice thing but is there research to back this up what is the thinking behind it yeah absolutely and i mean i think that's what we are trying to establish. We're trying to move beyond the idea that this would be a nice thing to actually begin to gather some robust evidence to say why it might work. Um, And there has been some really um, swift movement in this field over sort of the last 15, 20 years or so. It's a really rapidly growing field of research. Um, And I know that lots of teachers um, are actively researching this in their own school context, looking at impact. Um, but, you know, if you think about um, well-being and development, there is research evidence um, to say that animals can really support um, physical development. They can support social development. Um, they can, you know, in some ways support the development of cognitive skills. Um, but also, and I think um, this has already been mentioned, behavior, um, sort of emotional well-being there's, there's evidence in a broad range of different areas to really say, if you get the right animal with the right child and you can get the right environment. And I think, again, that was mentioned, you know, that calming environment and um, a natural environment wherever possible. You know, there are some really great potentials um, here that can be gained for, for teachers and for learners. Fantastic. Um, now, Kerry, we, we, we've kind of talked a little bit about the things that you do, the therapeutic side of it. Was um, was that a deliberate sort of choice from the start, if you see what I mean, that, that you were thinking this, you know, we, we want to use a therapy dog, were you aware of that kind of thing? Or was it that you wanted a... Because as I've been talking about this, I've been switching between sort of pet and using that word. Is that how you see it as a school pet or is it something more? It's it's that supporting the whole child with the social side. So we have a, a large percentage of children that have English as an additional language um, and the children are and, and one of our areas of always priorities is building that language rich environment um, where the child what the children can be introduced to from early years. Um, and the animals contribute to this as well. So they allow them to develop a whole range of skills through the language, the vocabulary, that social, the outdoor, the life skills. 
because our children also learn through um, extended curriculum. They've been learning about, when we first introduced the animals, about animal care, how to look after them, the skills that are involved, um, how when Hugo was introduced, we had an assembly about his behaviours and what animals' behaviours look different to their behaviours. So it it's not just, um, just, right, we've got a dog in school and we've got these animals in school. It's actually looking at the impact of how these the pets can or the school um, animals can actually support the children in so many different ways. So, you know, Hugo has been, we had some children um, a couple of years ago that were really struggling in their reading in terms of confidence. Um, and they came to my office and I was doing some reading with them. But actually what was happening is I was doing the reading and listening to them, but also Hugo was sitting there with his head on their laps and they just, they were stroking and reading at the same time. And the confidence, the impact of that child's confidence just went through the roof. He was going home talking saying, look, I've read to Hugo today, mum. I've got to practice because actually the, the next day I'm going to read to him. And I'm going to read a bit more to him. So it isn't just that academic side, there is that social side, but also building on language and vocabulary because they're talking to the animals um, and they're having that contact with them and that's supporting that whole well-being approach as well. And, and I get, you know, I, I, for me, I think this is where I'm struggling to, to conceptualise is because there's so much. And, you know, talking to Ian um, there about kind of this, this farm menagerie, there, there, there's so much and so much learning then to make the most of it. And maybe this is what teachers do, that we, we make the most of it. Now we've got the dog in school, you know, now we've got the animals in school. We want to do even more learning from it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, you know, the, the, the kind of what are the, the different purposes and now um i i hear about you know sort of therapeutic dogs this 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 kind of therapy the 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 benefits of it the well-being aspect of it i guess is what i'm asking and i i know that from myself you know stroking a dog i have heard you know these facts that get thrown around about stroking a dog reduces endorphins possibly and and maybe um helen would be the one to, to, to sort of maybe answer some of this for me i don't i don't know but what how does that work? What is, you know, what is, when we're talking about the, just the therapy bit on its own, as opposed to the social, how does that kind of relaxation, I don't know, how do, you know, what's going on? Yeah, there are definitely um, research studies that look at the physiological effects um, of touching animals. Um, so, for example, um, oxytocin, which is a hormone associated with attachment um, and bonding and um, lowering sort of anxiety and stress, that's um, triggered um, when we're in contact with an animal. Um, so, you know, there is an element of our physiological responses. There's been research to look at um, our heartbeats and what happens to our heartbeat when, when we're in the presence of a dog. And that's been shown to um, lower as we begin to relax more. So, you know, there are some um, interesting studies that talk about this. And of course, we're getting the benefits Um you know, of that kind of sense of comfort and security, because we can form bonds with animals that that they're not going to replace a caregiver, and we're not replacing teachers by any means. But um, children are very capable of forming friendships and attachments um, to a whole range of different animals. And that in itself brings a sense of security and comfort. Um, And, you know, in the, the latest study that we've been doing, we were finding that a lot of children were looking to 
um, the presence of the school dog when they were returning back to school after sort of lockdowns and periods where they'd been away, that sense of comfort was definitely, definitely coming through in lots of the responses that we were hearing. And so now we're, you know, we're kind of getting, we're getting into that um, social maybe side of a classic that Kerry was talking a bit about, about maybe confidence, um, maybe like social interactions, but with an animal. Am I kind of phrasing that right, Kerry? Yes, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, an example where um, it's developing that social side has been where we've had some children who have specific special needs um, and they haven't, in terms of um, talking to adults, they haven't got there yet in um, because they have specific needs where they found it very, very, very difficult to communicate with um, any adult in school. Now, with the dog, they have started to create their own language with the dog. Now, we don't know what that communication is in terms of because of the need of the child, but there is that relationship that they have built um, in term, for that child and that brings them comfort. So when they are having a particular difficult day, um, you know, I might get a call, right, can you bring Hugo down? Or if that child is, you know, in... Um, dysregulated then actually the dog comes helps calm that approach but there's that social interaction it might not be that they're having a full conversation that you know we know what's what's being spoken about but there is a communication definitely there and that's helping that social development um, and that's that's in terms that we've had a, a several where that impact has been quite significant um in the years that hugo's been part of the school um and, you know, I, I, I really l- love this idea of animals kind of unlocking something, that social element of it. And we've also kind of mentioned, and, and this would be my experience of um, the encouragement of using a dog in particular as a reading dog, for want of a better word, um, where it, there was a motivational factor, there was a reward factor, there was a an encouragement factor with having children coming into school or wanting to do an activity, wanting to read to it. We saw that as well. Yeah, he, I mean, I mean Hugo is very calm in nature and um, he will, you know, whatever you ask him to do, he, he will take on that challenge. Um, so, for example, where children, where a couple of years ago, we wanted to develop a group of children's confidence with writing, for example. So, you know, there was that element of, right, if, you know, that reading and writing element. So, okay, if you work really, really hard on your writing, then actually you can take it up and you can read it to Hugo. So they were practicing their reading skills, but also they were developing their writing skills and their confidence and their oracy, which is, you know, oracy is, is one of our school priority areas. So you, you've got, you're encompassing all of that, but you're using the dog to support that. Um, and, you know, the, Hugo's quite good. He actually looks like he's reading it at times because if you put a book in front of him, he's he kind of actually looks like he's actually reading. He'll shake his head and things and and things like that and the children absolutely love it but then the children want to come back and and show you know what what they can do next so you've you've got the whole picture there really um and when he's in class the children are really really keen to show what they can do academically but also you know they might use hugo as writing a story um in early years i took him down um last term 
And that was all about him um, having an animal profile done on him. And they had to, you know, develop their oracy skills in talking, explaining all the different behaviors that Hugo has and what he might eat. And and it just builds that whole picture. Um, And, you know, the children, even with the staff, the staff love having him in class and to support our staff's well-being, some of our staff taking for a walk over in um, the park opposite. So there's that whole round approach um, to having animals. And we've got a pastoral cat, so in our pastoral team. So when, you know, children are worried about anything, they go down to the pastoral team room, then, you know, Piper can assist in supporting those children with any worries and have that calming approach too. You know, it is amazing. Um, I should say, you know, we currently are talking, you know, um, I know I know we had Ian on who was a, a primary school, you, um, yourself, Kerry, primary school. I've seen it in primary schools, but I have had tweets in as we've been kind of talking about this uh, online about um, people who are doing these things in secondary schools as well. And so they, they do exist beyond, you know, I don't want to paint a picture of a, a primary school setting where it, it's very... Um, kind of quaint I don't want to you know I, I can't think of a better word for it but in, in you know I do hear them being used in secondary schools as well I should remind our listeners if you're listening and you have questions about it you can text us you can tweet us you can even call in with a question now I, I'm going to throw back to um, Helen and just say um, researching this we it must be an absolute nightmare there, there are so many aspects to this yeah, I think um, there is a huge field. Um, and like you said, you know, um, there, there are dogs. If we, if we just think about dogs, dogs being used in secondary schools, I use my dogs and take them into my, the university concept to work with the, um, the students there. Um, dogs in libraries, lots and lots of different ways we can look at it. Um, so I guess for me, I've started to, to focus in more on perhaps thinking about this from the animal's perspective as well as from the learner's perspective, because I think we're beginning to get a whole rich amount of evidence to say, yes, for some children, this can be really beneficial. Um, I'm really interested in turning that on its head and thinking, well, is there anything in this um, for the dogs and for the animals that are involved? Because, you know, that, that should be a consideration that we make as well, I think. Well, do you know what? Perfect segue for me there, because we're going to pop to some ads. And when we come back, um, I, I want to talk about some of the challenges and uh, of, of doing these kind of things in school. Um, so we will see you all. Don't forget to send us in your messages. We will see you on the other side of these quick ads. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen great improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls' School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. 
book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot UK. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Borodar Pab, Kroisoy Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. And tonight on the Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio, I'm talking to Dr. Helen Lewis, former primary school teacher, uh, now teacher educator, researching the best practices for involving dogs in schools. Um, I'm talking to Kerry Williams Kendall, Vice Principal at Boothroyd Primary Academy in West Yorkshire, whose school received the first Therapeutic School Award. Um, you have missed, but you will be able to listen back as a podcast. Talking to um, Ian, the head teacher of Ascola Sansure, um, in a, they sell 20,000 eggs a year from their school farm. They keep bees, uh, lizards, tortoises all kinds in their menagerie um at school and on their farm as a, as i say so we've been talking about a lot you know um so don't forget you can send us our questions we are live for that reason you can tweet us you can message us in and we will do our best to try and answer them you know tune in and talk it out so i'm just going to check back in and um welcome back uh, helen hi nathan good and kerry welcome back hi fabulous just checking there like I always have like a brief panic at that point that you haven't wandered off to make a cup of tea <laughs> or or anything now we've been talking about school pets and I, I I should probably put a you know there is a little bit of a trigger warning at the start of this section because I do want to talk about problems I'm going to read something out from Peter the the kind of animal rights organization and it probably is a good place for us to start when considering it because maybe something that schools don't necessarily understand but they have uh, an opinion that is not anti-class pets but cautious of animals in school um, and one of the, some of the things they say is um, a, a classroom simply isn't suitable home for an animal and there are many factors that kind teachers need to consider before bringing them into theirs um, they say as their sort of examples of things that can be 
a concern. Uh, you know, an unclassroom is an unhappy home for an animal. They do put home in inverted commas there. So, you know, they're talking about all animals here. Sensitive animals confined to small cages or tanks in classrooms. You know, the needs are rarely met and the natural instincts can't be accommodated. Um, they talk about the distress maybe by being handled by a large number of children. Um, they talk about classroom pets often being left alone or left behind, um, you know, overnight um, or possibly at weekends. Um, and they talk about some of the health risks as well around allergies and asthma. Um, and so it's something that you have to think carefully about or people maybe are, are concerned before they do. Um, so, Kerry, was it something that worried you going into this? Well, if I if I kind of talk through how um, our animals are cared for, um, yeah. we we ensure that we've got the right risk assessments first and foremost, um, and also insurance are in place that um, they are registered. We have um, school vets, but they are also registered, obviously, with the owners' vets as well. So they're kind of dual registered. Um, we ensure we've got the right breeds um, and you know in temperaments. So we had um, a dog behaviourist who actually came um, for Hugo, actually came to the rescue centre um, a couple of times and vetted him, trained him, um, looked at his breed. We knew the full history um, about Hugo in the fact that he was just too big for the, the previous people, and that, but he was very kind-natured. Um, we had that training before he came into school. Um, the cats are hypoallergenic. Um, Hugo's short-haired. Um, and the cats and the dogs and the guinea pig, they go home with staff. So they're all used to being transported since they were young. So the cats will go home each night and, and the guinea pigs and um, the dog. The the animal's well-being is, is as paramount as our pupils and staff well-being. Um, and we look after them through having regular times during the school day where they can rest in a calm and quiet place. Um, and they can take some food. They can go for a walk, and um, you know, like Hugo, he goes out at lunch times, and we have a, um, a walk um, in the park opposite. Um, he has a fuss by the school office staff, um, so he receives like a, a, a lot of um, different things to support his well-being. But also, it's it's allowing the children to recognise and teaching them about behaviours of the animals as well. So you know, assemblies before we brought any animals into school, we had assemblies where um, the training, you know, in terms of delivering that message, let's look at this, you know, what's going to happen here. Let's look at a dog's tail. If it goes underneath, that signals they're scared. That's what Hugo will do. If his ears go back, that means he's nervous. And actually the children will recognise that. So, you know, when there's been a sudden noise that um, a siren's gone off in terms of a police siren's gone past, the children on the playground are going, he's, he's a bit worried. I think you need to take him, take him in, Mrs Kendall. And, you know, and that hasn't just come from, the you know, the children, that has been through allowing them that education of animal behaviours and also supporting their well-being and the children recognise that. They will recognise when he might be a bit nervous about something. So actually, yes, then he comes back up to my office. So, you know, that, they have got that in the forefront of their minds um, the whole time. And if the animals are ill or if they're not themselves or they are a bit anxious or they're a bit nervous, then, you know, they don't have visitors. They don't go into classrooms. Um, they're not brought into school. 
They might have a vet checkup if necessary. All the animals have their own base, and that's really important. They have their own school base. So Hugo's um, in my office. The cat is in the pastorum. Um, and the children know to respect the animals if they need space, which is, you know, lovely. They often pop back and they will check how they're doing. Um, and if they're not in for one day, they will ask why he wasn't in. Um, and then, you know, is he OK? And and then they're delighted to see him again. So, you know, the animal care is as paramount as the staff and the pupils at our school and our, our whole community. Um. Helen, what are your sort of opinions on? I, I'm, I'm not. Call, I don't want to call them dangers because I don't think anyone would put. But the, you know, the, and risks maybe isn't the right word. But you know, the, the, the possible downsides that people might not uh, think through necessarily if they're not taking a slow and steady approach. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think that planning and preparation and a great deal of research is really important. Um, you know, no no teacher is going to bring an animal in. To their their classroom and deliberately cause any distress. Um, but classrooms are really busy, busy, um, noisy, um, sensory overload for for animals um, is is highly possible. So I think thinking through the practicalities of, of what's going to happen and how this is going to be managed is really important. And I think that that sense of interacting with an animal, you know, it's a privilege. It's it's not it's not our right, and therefore. Just as we would talk about children's rights, um, you know, we need to think about the animal as an individual. Um, so, you know, I, I, I live with three dogs. They are very different personalities. Um, and actually, they're, they're each suited to different um, contexts to work with different people. Um, and, you know, we have to take in, into account what, what is the job we're expecting this animal to do when it comes into school with us. Um, and how are we best placed to support it then to be successful in that in that role? Um, and you know the the research that we've just done at the moment, we've um, asked over a thousand educators um, their experiences with dogs in school, and there are a surprising number of unexpected events that can happen. Um, and you know there are the, most of these dogs have been through um, considerable assessments, temperament assessments. But those temperament assessments may not happen in a school context. And therefore, when you take the dog somewhere different, it may behave differently. Um, we all have off days. We all have situations that, that can just trigger us. Um, and, you know, we, see, we saw in our survey lots of um, times that dogs toilet in the, in, inside the classrooms, lots of times that dogs have scratched and chewed things. But also, you know, I think it, it is worth bearing in mind that there were also incidents of, of dogs barking at children, growling at children, barking at adults, but also um, dogs being hurt by children, dogs being shouted at by children. So there is a cautionary side to this, I think, and we really have to to plan for and think about, you know, what would our what what would we do if these situations happened, um, and how can we really try to mitigate against, against them? Yeah. Um, now, you know, we, 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 we come back to dogs, we talk about dogs a lot, and there are other animals that are used, but dogs, is there a reason that, that you know, are dogs easier, I guess is what I'm asking, is it is it that we know more about dogs, are, we, are, are dogs more people, pe people um, animals? You know, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a long history, isn't there, of, of humans and dogs, um, and, you know, they're, they're called our best friends for a reason. I think part of it is because 
they are so well attuned to us um, and they are able to pick up on our very nuanced body language um, and they can respond to that. But they're also, generally speaking, um, very responsive and very attuned. And, you know, the the work that I tend to do is usually um, play-based activities. And, of course, you know, if you get the activity right for the dog, they can be having a fantastic time and it's really rewarding for both parties. So, you know, I know of schools where they build on the dog's natural desire to be sniffing and finding and retrieving things. And so the interventions with children are all based upon those kinds of activities because I think it is easier to work with a dog in that context than a smaller, you know, the pocket pets, the the rabbits and the guinea pigs and the hamsters. It's a different kind of relationship that we can have with them, I think. Yeah. Now I'm going to go over to Kerry now because you have talked about the cats and not that I'm, you know, labeling myself for a dog or a cat person, but I, I am going to, you know, I want to hear about these cats because I personally, I find them aloof. <laughs> you know, I'm really interested. My, my, my relationship with dogs is maybe different to my relationship with cats, but it, is it working in a similar way? You're kind of, what do they do with the cats? Well, can I just pick up on in terms of the last point um, yeah. in terms of um, the children working with their training um, in terms of when we're talking about dogs? Um, some of our children also, you know, those that we're working one-to-one with Hugo um, or in small groups, they actually also, we've got a large school grounds and they actually can continue his training. So they are actually part of that and in, they can then see how um, Hugo's training ongoing and that we're always learning that Hugo's always learning so they are part of that as well and and that is really rewarding you can see that um in terms of the cat um so the cat is um we've got one cat in the pastoral room um where we have um children who may come in there in terms of supporting them in many different ways and different interventions some of them behavior interventions um, but the cat is in there to support the children in that car again in that calming approach um, and also you know at that sh- stroking the cat interacting with the cat if that child's got particular worries if there's if there's home issues happening that interaction is really just is really important it really supports their the child's well-being so you know it, the, there's lots of different things that our animals can do but you know, when we're looking at the well-being of, of the child, the store cat really can support um, the children that may have those worries or may just want to have, um, you know, some a bit of time out that they need um, and they can interact with Piper. Um, and do you find, you know, do, do children, do they t- have a preference? Do you know what I mean? Do they, do, are there some that, that gravitate towards the cat, some that gravitate towards the dog or, yeah, I'm, I'm I don't know. I guess I'm not a cat person. I'm struggling. Well, I mean, we've we've got stick insects in early years and guinea pigs. So we've got we've got animals um, all over the school, really. Um, But what we find is those children, the children respond really positively to the animals. Um, And, you know, the 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 animals love responding to them. So it's a two way process. Um, I know that Hugo, I mean, Hugo loves, he just jumps at, he will He will do this little whinny that he does and he knows the school and so we're driving down the drive and he knows where he is and he's keen to get out of the car and he will, you know, go down the corridor and he'll meet the caretaker and he gets the fuss and he'll go into the classrooms where he knows and he'll get the fuss from the teachers in the mornings um, and he absolutely loves being there um, and the cat 
loves being there, you know. So th we are looking after everyone's um, and supporting them with that calm therapeutic approach that will support our children in growing and being nurtured and learning about, you know, all the life skills that come with having animals in the school as well. So there's a, there's a whole menu really of having animals in the school as the impact that it can have. Yes, it does have its risks, um, and, but that then goes back to, you know, your previous speaker was saying, you've got to, you've got to know the context of your school. You've got to know which pet um, is the most suitable, whose responsibility it's going to be. So Hugo is my responsibility. So, you know, that lunchtime walk is his part of his well-being. That's part of his diet when he's in school. Um, and in terms of where he, where he is, and where he's located, that's got to be part of that whole conversation in terms of moving forward and, and having that policy, having that train the risk assessment, you know, ensuring that if, if someone owns the animals, the, the vaccinations are up to date, the worm in the flea treatment, all of that um, comes into play and that ongoing training is a part of the person's responsibility. So, you know, making sure that you're choosing the right breeds and that you've, you're integrating the animals into the school, but you're also educating the children of how to, to really respond to those animals and, you know, how the children's well-being is the same as the animal's well-being in supporting that moving forward and actually looking at what the role, how is the role of the animals going to enhance the learning and the pupil development. So for us, you know, the key benefits is seeing the children interacting with them so positively, um, supporting the pupil's well-being, seeing the relationships they develop with the animals, especially those children that have specific needs, um, it improves many of the outcomes, including the academic, um, and it provides that in, you know that really rich therapeutic learning experience um, that the children may not have outside school in terms of that calm approach. It just it supports all what we're about. And you know, I I think this you know this idea that that you know that it is a a partnership. I really like that. You know that 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 there is the responsibility there you know but it, and it is sounding like a big thing and I think you know towards the end of this I do want us to talk about you know we're, we're kind of we've gone some of the risks you know all of the responsibility but there are you know there are huge benefits to this and and Helen what do you see as kind of sort of those those key benefits of people getting to interact with an animal or a dog um, particularly in a school environment? Well, actually, I think um, one of the things that Kerry mentioned, talking about life skills, I think that's really important. Um, you know, historically speaking, we used to involve animals to teach about curriculum content and knowledge and understanding. We're definitely seeing a shift now for supporting pupil well-being. But actually, I think in terms of helping young children learn how to interact safely around dogs, that's really important. You know, there there's lots of evidence to talk about the the increase in, in the dog population here in the UK. There's lots of evidence to suggest that very young children in particular sometimes can misinterpret dogs' body language so they can actually move closer to a dog that is demonstrating um, that it doesn't want to be part of an interaction. So, you know, we, we can teach children some very important life skills. Even if they don't live with dogs, they're going to come across dogs. So I think that's really important. Um, I think... For me, the area that I'm particularly interested in is the 
the communication and sort of social skills that can develop in these contexts. Um, so we've been looking at what happens um, with very young children when a dog comes in in a play-based context and the kind of benefits. And we're seeing, you know, children speak more in those contents of, often, but they speak to each other more, they speak to adults more, they speak to the dog more, but they also speak for the dog, they advocate for the dog. And so I think that sense of empathy, um, again, is a, it's a really important life skill, that, that sense of being able to see the world through somebody else's eyes is a really, really important um, thing that we need to develop. So I think that can be really powerful. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I, I, I often talk about working, you know, a lot of my work sometimes involves working with children with um, social, emotional, mental health, behavioural difficulties, um, and a lot of empathy and care can come out um from a child who potentially doesn't show it in other ways around the school, but when they are, they feel that they are looking after or protecting an animal. That's something that I, I sometimes see and I really like about the idea of having animals around. Yeah, I'd agree. And, and you know, the research would say that animals are great as kind of catalysts for conversations, but they're also good for that kind of social glue. So um, one of the preschools that I worked in, they had a, a dog who visited on a regular basis and they just saw that the children, um, their ability to negotiate and take turns and work together to sort of solve problems such as, you know, which treats did Honey want that day? You know, those sorts of activities, it, it's it's done very subtly, um, but it's really powerful because it's, it's very authentic, isn't it? It's a real, there's a real purpose for these conversations and these interactions and these um, decisions being made. And I think that's very powerful, you know, real life learning yeah I, you know i couldn't agree more um and now it, it is time for us to pop to the news some some really interesting news stories we'll go to um are you both okay to stick around because when we come back it'll be about eight minutes time time to make a cup of tea uh, but um i would like to talk about how we can p persuade you know possibly there will be people listening who are in school uh want to go and put an idea forward how they can start selling this idea um helen are you okay to stick around Certainly, yes. And Kerry, you're okay to stick around? Absolutely. Fabulous. Right. Well, we will see you all on the other side of the news. Uh, see you then. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N.co.uk.
Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the Bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. A healthy eating scheme called Food Dudes is being introduced in some primary schools in Jersey to reduce obesity in children. Children will watch videos about the importance of healthy eating and get a daily delivery of fruit and vegetables to eat each morning. Minister for Education, Deputy Scott Wickenden said, Unfortunately, we have an increasing number of children who are becoming what is considered overweight or obese during their development in primary school from reception to year six. Evidence-based programmes such as Food Dudes, which has a strong body of research demonstrating the difference it makes, is an excellent way to make teaching children about healthy eating more fun and exciting. The scheme has already been introduced to thousands of UK schools and evidence suggests it can help change children's attitude towards fruit and vegetables. In Scotland, the SQA has been accused by pupils and teachers of failing learners by releasing patronising revision guides to help tackle the disruption caused by COVID-19. At the end of February, the SQA announced that it was moving to Scenario 2 as a result of significant disruption and stated it would release revision support to help reduce stress and anxiety. Pupils criticised the support which was released with one saying on social media, I never thought that SQA would assume we are so thick we wouldn't read the question before answering, but here we are. While another said, feeling confident about my exams now I know a six marker question is worth six marks. SQA Chief Executive Fiona Robertson said, the measures are the fairest and best way we can help support all learners while also maintaining the integrity, credibility and standard of the qualifications. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk timers. After being challenged to make a timer with shapes in PowerPoint, I thought I'd throw out a quick tip for the most common presentation software used in teaching. Microsoft PowerPoint and Google Slides. The easiest way to add a timer is embedding a YouTube timer video. In Google Slides, it's easy. Simply click on the insert menu and select video. You'll then be given the option to search YouTube. If you didn't know already, YouTube is full of timer videos. So type in the timer you want, for example, five minute timer, and you'll be given a list of videos to choose from. Select the one you want and it'll embed. Finally, use the video format options to determine whether you want it to play on a click, start automatically or manually. Job done. You can also do this in PowerPoint, but you'll need to search YouTube first to find your video as you'll need the video's URL. If you're not a geek, that's the big long www address. Now you've got the address, select insert video and online video. Paste in the address and it will embed. Again, you can decide how it plays back in the playback menu. For both these methods, you need to be connected to the internet for them to work, but usually you will be. For this week's visual version, I'll retweet my example of the shape timer from last week and add a short tutorial demonstrating the methods I've just described. So don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Nathan Ginn. And tonight we are talking about animals in schools, specifically talking about dogs in particular, but we're talking with Dr. Helen Lewis, former primary teacher, now teacher educator, researching the best practices involving dogs in schools. We're talking with Kerry Williams-Kendall, Vice Principal at Boothroyd Primary Academy in West Yorkshire, whose school received the first therapeutic school award um, and we have been talking about some of the challenges some of the things that you have to think through so if you've missed that and you want to listen back you can uh, go to our website or any podcast listening uh, thing you know uh, iTunes um, Amazon you can even ask your Amazon Alexa to um, you know if you say I can't say it now um, you know you say the, the keyword and then otherwise it will play in the background and then you say play teachers talk radio we'll play it i don't want it to go off while we're while we're broadcasting um but you can do all of those things so we've been talking about um some of the benefits now uh, we wanted to kind of come to the end of the show talking about some of the persuasive matters uh, that we can do i will just check that our guests are still with us um so helen are you still there i'm still here thank you and kerry are you still with us yes i am Fantastic stuff. Now, I should throw into the mix, um, obviously, there are alternatives to having the um, the animal yourself. Um, so there are lots of visiting dog schemes, um, such as Pets as Therapy, Read to Dogs. Um, 
you can get involved with um, sort of local shelters who will sometimes do work where you can go and visit um, dogs or possibly I know my local one will allow specific dogs with uh, you know sort of approved groups to come and take a dog for a walk um, you can adopt a pet or an animal at a local possibly community farm again we have one of those quite close to to where I am now you could have even sort of things like a bird table wildlife as in sort of local hedge row wildlife um you know uh, that, that you could be doing to involve children in those things um and of course you can have sort of visitors who come in and will bring either exotic pets or animals in that, that, that is part of their business to do a talk if it is part of a curriculum project so you don't necessarily have to go all in to start with and get yourself you uh, a, an animal you know we often hear that kind of a dog is uh, isn't just for christmas but if you were to meet someone, say there is a listener and they want to persuade SLT or their head teacher that this is a route that's worth exploring, what sort of things, Kerry, would you be saying to them or advising them to bring up uh, with their head teacher? I think the first thing is knowing the school's context and what's in, what is the school community um about what the priorities in that area what are the barriers perhaps in that area so understanding that school community is, is that really really important because the it's it's got to work for the school and it's got to work in a number of ways but it's got to be about the priorities for that school I think as well um, and what the, the values and the vision of that school is so understand that's really important but I think actually before anything's brought up actually go in and, and re- doing your research um, and looking at other schools that are already doing it, going to visit them, going to speak to lots of people. And I'm not just saying just go to one school. There might be quite a few in the area um, where the context of the school is different and actually, you know, getting everybody's opinions about it and how they went about it and their process before then thinking about actually putting an action plan together and, and discussion it in another way. So doing individual research, I think is really, really important before you kind of look at your school um, and whether it decide and whether that's then something that your school could take on and how they take it on. So whether it's actually the animals, you know, like us that, you know, we've got owners that own them and bring them in or whether that is actually looking at a company that will bring in therapy dogs it's got to be right for the school. So the, the research has got to be done beforehand. Um, and I, re- I really like this kind of idea that it comes from, and I know we talked to Ian from Ascola Sansur um, about the, all of the animals that they had had over sort of growing from a 20 year, but it, it seemed like it was it was part of the fabric of who they are. And this is a living thing that we're bringing in to become part of the the community. I really like that idea that actually there may be some schools that as much as you want it, it's, it's not right for you or it's not right for you at that time. Um, So Helen, what sort of things would you advise someone to be sort of bringing up persuading? What kind of things could they be talking to their, their head teacher about, you know, if they're in this position? Yeah, first of all, I have to say that I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with Kerry because not every school is the right environment. And and I think we have to be mindful of the fact that 
actually, when you have an animal in your classroom context, it really does change the dynamic. Um, you know, and I would I hope my boss isn't listening because, you know, the days that I have my, my dogs in with me, I don't really do my typical day job because my attention is split. It's, it's, a, it's a balance between the students and the dog and, and who's, you know, is everybody happy? So I don't think this is appropriate for every school. And I think that there are many other options as you've outlined. And, and the idea of trying this out with a, a visiting dog who is coming in on a regular basis so you can still form attachments um, who is maybe just in for an hour or two every week or every fortnight can really test the water and you can see whether you think it is going to be appropriate. But I think once you've once you've done your research and if you think this is for, this is for you, I think the first thing you have to think about is um, a well um, you have to think about who the dog is going to be working with because I think that's going to make a difference to the the dog that you actually involve because. If you're expecting a dog to be working on a one-to-one -one basis, um, perhaps with children with maybe some unpredictable behaviour, um, or maybe you're expecting a dog to work with small groups, um, or maybe you're expecting a dog to come in and, and fit in within a whole class environment, th that might not be one dog that can do all of those things. So we have to look at the, the jobs that we're expecting the dog to do, the learners that we're expecting the dog to work with, and then we can begin to think about, well, what qualities are we looking for in the in the dog that can do this? It's you know that's quite a challenge for for any dog. And as I said, my three work very differently um, and wouldn't all be happy in the same situations necessarily. Um, and once I'd done that, I think I would be persuading my governing body that my risk assessment, um, my insurance, and then all of the kind of communications between. Um, pupils, parents, other teachers, you know, not everybody likes dogs, not everybody is confident around dogs. We need to make sure we've got those communication systems in place so that everybody knows what to expect. Um, and, you know, you've got systems in place for children, maybe from a, for a cultural reason, maybe for a medical reason. If they can't come into contact with that animal, how are you going to, to work that into your school um, day and your school environment? Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I really like sort of I, the bit that you said about them having jobs and jobs to do really chimed with me about, you know, I've had most recently two dogs and, and one has now passed and is no longer with us, but he would not be in any way suitable to be a, a school dog. He was a collie. He was from a sheep farm in mid Wales. And he would try and round up anything. He would uh, chase scooters. He hated the noise of scooters and would bark at them. Um, he would chase anything. You know, literally, he would be that he. It was in his nature, whether that was through training or you know, um, just part of his character or you know, or however they they're developing it. He 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 would not be. I would not have him anywhere near a school because he would be so disruptive i mean he was lovely in the house but he was disruptive and then equally i have now a spaniel who again was a working dog this time from hampshire and you you know all of its family and, it, and its siblings even from the litter are out working hunts you know working shoots uh, and and she just has i couldn't take her into a school with me because she doesn't sit still enough she needs so much work so much exercise that's not a good breed i guess so um what kerry what 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 dogs have you got what breeds are they do you think it makes a difference 
And I think it does make a difference um, because it's about the right breed. Um, so I first, to I, I actually we we, we trialed um, my mum's lurcher first um, in terms of just looking at the interactions with the the children and the staff. And he was a lurcher. He was a Bedlington Whippet cross, um, and he absolutely loved all the fuss. However, he he had he didn't like being left alone um, in in the room that you know we were forming as the base. But we trialed it and it didn't work. Um, but then you know we we did that we, we trialed with Hugo, and he was absolutely fine. Um, Hugo is a blue whippet um, crossed with a saluki, um, so he's quite a big lurcher because he's got the saluki structure. Um, but in terms of lurchers, generally are very placid, very calm. Um, we'll sleep a lot. We'll just chill out in the corner. Um, and greyhounds, you know, X, X racing greyhounds, you know, there's a lot of lurchers and greyhounds in rescue centres. And it's just because they're quite big, but actually they're very calm in their actual, um, you know, personality and the nature. So you do have to do your research. I wouldn't have been able to have our previous dog, um, a joint, a German pointer. She wouldn't have been able to sit still. Um, and, you know, the, the interactions wouldn't have been as good as Hugo. And I, um, and we know that. Um, it's just about doing your research and, and finding the right dog or finding the right cat. I mean, our cats are hyperallergenic and we deliberately made that decision to make sure that that was the, that what we needed for to fit the school and obviously to fit the medical needs and things like that. So we didn't rush. It took us a long time um, to, to form the, the right decisions, the action plans, to communicate it with um, people so that we made sure that it fit the school for what we wanted the outcomes to be and how it would fit the community, um, not just we're bringing an animal into school it's what's right for the school and that's you know that's why we do everything um in terms of the curriculum what's right for the school and that's got to be the same in terms of bringing animals in and helen you know my one of my fears with animal with dogs in particular just in general is that people and you know i will say i have been as guilty of this as anyone is that people tend to make aesthetic choices about um dogs and they'll say okay you know so we're going to get this 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 uh, you know you know, I don't know, we're going to get one that I like the look of as opposed to what its temperament is, what its job is, what it, you know, what it, how it behaves. Would would that be a concern? Yeah, I think, well, to, to be honest, I think, I mean, Kerry, uh, it sounds like you, you rescued an adult dog um, and checked that um, that dog's temperament and personality matched what you were looking for in your school. I think the danger of any school that, that buys um, a young dog or a puppy with the express intention of becoming a school dog, you're, you are taking a risk because, yes, there are breed traits. Of course, there are breed traits. We, we've developed these breeds over hundreds of years to do specific jobs, and, and many of them stick true to that kind of trait. But underpinning everything, um, you can't get away from early experiences, um, individual personalities. You know, dogs are complex, um, sentient creatures, aren't they? So I think I would... I would add a little bit of caution if you purchase a puppy expecting it to become a school dog just because it's in school from an early age. I think that it's a, a little bit more complex than that. And when people talk about socialising their puppy in school and taking it in from nine or ten weeks old, 
you know, socialization can also be a negative experience for a young dog. So we have to be really sensitive and we have to really think about the individual dog in that particular school context. So we can make some predictions based on breed and, and all those sorts of things. But ultimately, it's going to come down to that, that one dog um, and, and the experiences that it's going to have in the school. So we do need to be a little bit mindful of that when we're making selections. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, I know, Kerry, you've talked a little bit about the amount of care and the amount of kind of responsibility of it. But also, there, you know, there, there, there's a cost involved in this because we're talking about uh, vets bills, uh, vaccinations, worming, as you say. We're talking about food, for want of a better word. But it's not necessarily a, a cheap thing and not as simple as just having a dog. So, I mean, we have, um, when we were talking about, obviously your previous colleague was talking about in terms of having the right dog and everything, it, you have to also invest in the time. So there is a cost, but it's also the time. So Hugo was 11 months um, when he started at our school, but for the first week, um, it was me getting into school before anybody else apart from the caretaker for me to go around the school with Hugo so that he knew the environment, that he knew sounds, he knew what the school bell sounded like. He um, knew the sounds under my office and locker sounds. That was a, that was before we even started um, him actually coming in full time. So it was that you have to invest in that time as well. And, you know, he didn't go out on the playground straight away. He um, did not go into classes straight away. So he spent a whole term in my room just getting used to the school, the environment, the smells, getting used to children just coming just on a one-to-one -one basis or on a small group basis. But that was only for a small period of time. And then we gradually built it up. And then as he became more confident, then we said, right, okay, let's let's um, think about this strategy or or what we can do next and how he can support, you know, a whole group of children and, and then a class of children, right, let's put him onto the playground, see how he interacts. And But it's for you as the owner of the dog, you have to know your dog really, really well. And actually bringing a dog or any animal into school, you need to know them and their behaviours and, and how they're going to react in situations so that you're always one step of looking at what might be um, and you're reading that situation the whole time. There is a cost involved. Um, but, I mean, for me, yes, I take him to school every day with me. But I have to consider, right, when I don't take him, if I have meetings or if I'm at another school, actually, where's Hugo going to go? Um, and actually, is he going to stay at home? Or is he, you know, going to be working with his children? But who's going to be looking after him? You've got all, you haven't just got the cost involved. You've got the kind of the strategic de decisions to make as well. Um, but, you know, he has, he has a base in my, in my office. He has a bed in my office. So obviously there's the cost in the fact that I've got to make sure that he's got somewhere, um, an environment that suits him. But, you know, you've got your extra bed. Yes, he has his breakfast in the mornings and, you know, the, but in terms of the vets, he is registered at my vets at home. But we do have, he's registered at the school vets because we obviously have school animals. But, the, you know, it's just making sure that whoever's going to take on the dog and who's going to have that responsibility 
also knows that the costs are going to be part of their responsibility too. It's not going to be the school's responsibility to make sure they're wormed or fleed. If it's the, if it's your dog you're taking in, it's your responsibility. And it's your your responsibility to make sure the well-being of that dog is, is really, really important. So, yes, there is a cost and there are extra things that, you know, I have to buy Hugo, but... At the same time, Hugo gets a lot of Christmas presents. He's got a lot, quite a few, a lot of tennis, tennis balls and um, teddies and things like that. And he gets treats from a lot of the staff. Um, but so you just got to balance it up, and you've got to make the right decision for your school. And in your school, you feel that all you know, all of this. But you know, we we keep going on these kind of the 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 the, the kind of possible things. But you feel this is worth it. This is something that you have felt is worth doing. Uh Absolutely. I mean, the, the, how the children interact, bear in mind, a, a, a large majority of our children don't have pets. Um, how the children interact so positive with Hugo. And as your, um, you know, your speaker was saying previously, Helen, um, in terms of looking at those social relationships the children have and developing that communication, that I can see all the time. Um, and if Hugo's walking around school, you know, they are, oh, look, Hugo's walking around school. Oh, he's feeling happy today. Look, his tail's wagging and, um, and oh, where's he on the way to, miss? And, you know, that he is part of the school. Um, and when he's not there, you know, people ask me or even the staff send me an email going, you know, is, I haven't, I've noticed Hugo hasn't been in school today. Is he all right? Um, and there's that whole side of it as well. Um, but, you know, when he's out in the playground and the, there's, he's with a group of children, they're all stroking him. The children are having that conversation. They are developing their oracy and listening to one another because they're all talking about Hugo. So they are developing that dialogue with one another. And we, you know, I've witnessed the children that have never interacted in the fact that one might be in year five or year six, but they're talking to a child who's in year three about Hugo. So actually it's, it's developing that whole um, oracy with different age groups but they've all got that common um you know thing in common this is the school dog so you know they're all talking about it which is great fabulous um it really you know it does just sound like you know it, it's something i've always wanted and i've never found that the 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 time the organization i guess the stability for me as well because we've talked about this but i've moved schools fairly regularly and that's a consideration if you are a person who's doing that who, who is going to move on after three to five years you know is it the right decision now we are coming to the end and don't forget if you are listening in uh just after this at eight o'clock um noreen has the late show she's got sir david carter on um talking about school leadership school improvement and academization um but you know before we wrap everything up helen is there any hopes sort of normally i end on kind of hopes for where this goes with kind of animals in school in the future um, I think that I would hope actually that across the UK um, and, and beyond, in fact, because um, this, this is something that's, you know, of global interest, actually, schools are, around the world are involving dogs. I think for me, it would be that we can capture some best practices to share, because I think there are some misconceptions and misunderstandings out there. And I think that there are a lot of teachers who would love to do this, but need some advice and need some guidance and because there isn't any national level regulation or um, even sort of advice, really, for schools wanting to have a permanent school dog, 
I think that would be my hope. My hope would be that we would look for opportunities to enrich the experiences that children and dogs can have together, but that we do it within some kind of guidance that makes sure that we're doing it safely and appropriately um, so that everybody benefits. That, that's what I think. Oh, fantastic. And I have just late at the end of the show, and this is perfect timing, we have had a tweet in. There was um, a teacher on Twitter who had mentioned that they had worked with someone who had a pet lobster. And that person, through the, the beauty of Twitter, I guess, has popped up in our timeline saying, was that me? I had a pet lobster. And I can't believe it. I would say I, I can't. Uh, you know, I'm sure it would work for someone, a therapeutic lobster, but for me, that you know, it's going to stick with the dogs, I think. Um, uh, Kerry, any final words from you? Um, you know, if you if you feel it's right for your school, then research, talk to people that have got um, animals already in their school, and, you know, you can always ask them for advice and just, yeah, if it's right for your school, go for it. And thank you so much both for coming on. I know it's, you know, giving up your time, but I think people will listen back to this and find it incredibly helpful um, with regards to, you know, making those decisions, thinking about it. So thank you both so much. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah, thank you. And I've learned a lot. Um, again, I've, I've heard of two schools that I would love to go and visit now. So thank you. It's been a great evening. <laughs> well, if hey, you're in York, dear. <laughs> You know, we are here talking it out, teachers, talk radio, that, that's what we're doing. So I will say from here in Swansea, Nostar, everyone, good night. Um, don't forget, as I say, Noreen up with The Late Show at 8 with Sir David Carter. Uh, and we will see you all. Otherwise, I'll see you this time next week. Um, Nostar. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.